it feels important to say, like, I can still be me and, and acknowledge that these things happen to me and not stand for them. And that was also a reason why I decided to come back in and continue my military path, because as you go up in rank, you have the ability to affect more people positively. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, welcome back to Now What. I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. We are here today with Anna McKenna, who we met through a women in podcasting forum. And she also hosts her own podcast, which is called Your Next Mission with Anna McKenna. And um, Anna, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I love your guys' podcast and what your mission is. So um, my name is Anna. I am a um, mom first and foremost and a partner. I have a son named Christian who's nine years old. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a military service member, uh, still serving actually. And it's been 22 years in the army and I just recently got promoted. And I've kind of had a a large experience, a larger experience of uh, the active duty, the National Guard, and now the reserves. I own a couple of brick and mortar businesses and I'm uh, starting my podcast journey. And um, I I live here in New England and uh, I really just kind of like to get out, meet people and travel with my family. You, that is wonderful. You sound very busy. (laughs) Very busy. (laughs) I am podcast, brick and mortar stores, active service. Like, yeah, good for you. I always always seem to have like a great idea. (laughs) Just getting it done. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to take that leap and kind of follow, you know, where you're being called to and, and see what happens. (laughs) Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. So you had actually reached out to us about being on our podcast and you'd filled out an application form. So thank you so much for doing that. And we, we thought that your story was a little bit different than some of the other ones that we have heard, but also very relatable. I think that there are a lot of other people who could probably relate and learn from your experiences. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. So I came into the army in 1999 and it's kind of a story that, that goes through quite a journey of roads, less traveled, if you want to call it that. And um, so I grew up in New Hampshire, went to college in upstate New York, kind of reluctantly fell into ROTC. I was a roommates with a girl who was from Brooklyn and she talked me into doing this class at college called ROTC because you could like camp and repel. And me being from New Hampshire was kind of like, I mean, that doesn't sound that great. That's kind of what I do, but okay, sure. I'll do it with you. And it was ROTC. <laughs> and um, essentially long story short, my university gave me a, a full scholarship to do ROTC. And I went into the army immediately after graduating in 1999. And I started off in the active duty and I um, went to airborne school and started my career at Fort Bragg. And shortly before 9-11, I left active duty and returned home to New Hampshire and uh, went into the Army National Guard here in New Hampshire. 
And pretty soon after that, as we know, the world kind of all shattered for so many of us. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, late 2003, I was deployed to Iraq where um, I didn't get home until February of 2005. So I was gone for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. By trade, by army trade, I was a logistician, but I kind of got thrown into a transportation unit. And at the time, so I was pretty young in my mid twenties, I think at the time, and at the time uh, Iraq was crazy. It was like the wild west. We didn't really have a lot of equipment. It was kind of like every time we left the wire to run convoys, it was just, um, you just never really knew if you were going to be coming back. And so it kind of became a new normal. And so I spent a long time in Iraq and at that time went through a lot of traumatic experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as a convoy commander, you know, essentially going through ambushes and improvised explosive devices. But unfortunately at the time, I also became a victim of um, military sexual assault and had to kind of shoulder that as well when I was over there. Returned home, navigated um, not one but two marriages and kind of started to make my way toward where I am today where uh, after a lot of therapy and a lot of uh, even taking a knee at some points to just kind of reflect on where I've been and, and figure out where I was going and and so it's been a long journey. I'm still serving. I did get out for a few years because I really did need to take a break and um, just kind of come to grips with where I was at in my personal life. And then I realized that Mm -hmm. I missed the army and I came back. And so I'm still serving for for at least a few more years um, so that, uh, you know, I can can round out what I think overall has been a very, a pretty good career. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the cliff notes version. (laughs) I just wanted to go back to when you were in Iraq and you you were dealing well, with your job and how insane that traumatic alone that must have been, but but dealing with like a sexual like, is there was there any support for you? Were there even any other women there with you? Like how? Just I'm I purely curious. Yeah, what that so could even look like. It was a little bit different for me. There were women there. There weren't too many in my unit, but unfortunately, I was a platoon leader and an officer in the unit, and so my perpetrator was also a higher ranking officer. And as a leader, I think in the military as a whole, we don't say hardly anything, right? Because our job is to take our subordinates, our peers and and to make sure. But honestly, you compartmentalize things so much when you are in constant threat. And it's just a constant heightened state of being hyper aware and and on guard. And so while there were women there, I certainly did not feel comfortable talking to anyone. And frankly, I was responsible for a lot of people. And so I really kind of shelved that. And it wasn't until I got home and I couldn't no longer really run from things. And there was a lot of quiet time in my head where I, I figured out that I kind of had to navigate some of these things or I wasn't going to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. So through therapy and through a lot of acknowledging 
what had happened and some serious introspection. It's been a long journey. I've been home, I think like 17 years now. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very resilient person, but there are still times where I feel um, triggered or um, just hyper aware. It's kind of funny because I think a lot of combat veterans do feel, have waves of feeling just very much on guard suddenly, very suddenly. Right. Mm-hmm. I am not a veteran, but I, I was diagnosed with PTSD and I really relate to that piece of like that hypervigilance and being on the lookout all of the time for danger. And I agree with you. I am healing and I'm doing so, so, so much better than I was like amazingly better than I was. Um, but it can still come back. Um, and there could still be, you know, potentially triggers for me, but I think that's what, that's kind of what the therapy has helped with a lot is just almost spreading those instances out and giving me some of the tools that I need to like cope with those triggers. And just as you've said, um, understanding it because I didn't understand really what was going on with me at first, except that I was just scared all of the time. Yeah. For me, it was, I was irritable all the time. Oh yeah. Angry. And, you know, I think people say a lot of times people say, well, like just take medication and like go to therapy and everything will be fine. But you know, these kind of things go up and down. There were times when I first got back where I would go to therapy and I literally would sleep for like two days straight, like 24 hours or more because my bot, I was just so tired mm-hmm. of navigating all of that. And so that's, that's like doing hard work. And it's really difficult to have to like go to work after that or like care for a family or, you know, after you go through some of those things. And I think a lot of times we try our best to compartmentalize, you know, traumas that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there's just this random thing that reminds you of that. And you are promptly put, put right back there. And you can't compartmentalize. And it, it made a lot of sense to me, actually, when you were saying that when you were in Iraq, that you were responsible for other people. So I, I'm imagining that because you feel such a responsibility towards those other people that it's like, well, I'm not allowed to deal with my feelings. I'm not allowed to feel my feelings and like have my anger, resentment, whatever, because I have to put these other people ahead of me. Yeah. Right. And it, it, and I could see how coming back home and not being in that environment anymore, that you could be forced to maybe deal with some of those things. Yeah. And were you married at that time? I was. Yes. Mm -hmm. But your son is only nine. So I have my son with my second husband. Okay. I've since divorced. Um, and my first husband, who is a wonderful person was dealing with a lot of things, you know, one day she's gone the next day, she's literally standing here. And he did not really know how to address a lot of the things that were going on with me. And I didn't tell him for a very long time. 
what had happened to me because we were just like, oh, it's, you know, I'm back. So everything's great, you know, until he would wake up in the middle of the night and find me missing from like our bedroom. And I would literally be sleepwalking downstairs, trying to get outside, just not even, not even realizing where I was going. He found up, he found me in, in the cul-de-sac a couple times. <laughs> I mean, oh I kind of laugh about it now, but like looking for my weapon, it's like, you're a, completely asleep, just sleepwalking. And I did that to that poor guy for a while. And then <laughs> I think, you know, it just, you come to this, he, he did try and he, he is a wonderful person. He just wasn't for me. And to be honest, he was kind of handed a bunch of crap. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot to work through with someone. Yeah, it is. And, it, and you're talking like multiple traumas. And it was almost like, he was like, well, what is it now? You know? And I, and, and that's not any fault of mine or his, but it is a lot for when your young, vibrant wife, happy wife goes off. And then, you know, 18 months later, 15 months later returns and is like irritable all the time and a completely different person basically and, and isn't exactly and isn't the same person and I I think if that were me I would be expecting you know this person to come back and for things to just go back to the way that they were before and it's going to be nothing but you know maybe this beautiful love story because we're reunited and we haven't seen each other in so long and it's just going to be all fantastic and then it's not because that's not where you were. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that because we had gotten married just very quickly before I, before I deployed, because I knew that things were not good over there and I wanted him to be able to handle my affairs, so on and so forth. So we did a very quick wedding. And while I was gone, my mom and my sister were planning like this huge wedding with like the cathedral veil and like all of it for when I got back and that date was scheduled for about six months after I came back I literally walked into a wedding like all right well I guess this is how I'm doing it because they had planned everything for me mm -hmm. and I remember walking down the aisle and just feeling like so absent from the whole thing yeah yeah uh, and, and so when you think back to that, I look back, I have looked back at pictures and, and been like, you know, everybody had a great time at that wedding, but like <laughs> I the only one that wasn't really there was like me, you know, yeah. Yeah. who's sort of supposed to be the star of the show. Really? Right. I mean, I did look good, but other than that, it was kind of like empty. Yeah. Um, and I can see that in my, in the photos when I, you know, when I've looked at them. Mm -hmm. And did anybody like, did anybody else pick up that something was off like on that day? Um, some of my like close friends, I had nine bridesmaids. I mean, who does that? Like, that's like, such <laughs> an early, isn't that like such an early 2000s thing to do though? It's like huge wedding party. Yeah. yeah. Like I would never do that now. So a couple of my, of my good friends knew that I was not myself and, you know, we had spoken about it, but by that time I was already married officially. So it was like, yeah, well, you know, we might as well just have a party now and, yeah. and try, but it's exhausting when one person, you know, wants to go through therapy and like deal with it. Kind of, they know they should, that was me. I knew I had to deal with things or I wasn't going to be able to function. 
And then the other person is not really that interested in therapy or working together on things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we were kind of doomed from the start when you think about like our journey together, but I do wish him the best. And he is, he is a good person. He is. And I don't know if you got remarried. I don't talk to him that often, but I hope you had a better chance with another person after me. Yeah. And you know what, sometimes we care about people and we just still want the best for them, even though we don't necessarily want them in our lives. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I was just going to say, I think we, until someone has gone through, you know, a trauma, they can't understand how like you're changed at like a cellular level. Yes. When you have gone through something like that. And I, I had an uncle who was in, served in the Marines. And so like, we have great respect for the military in my family. You know, my uncle, I mean, my grandfather was, you know, in the Navy in World War II. And my other grandfather was a Marine in World War II. Like it's, it's a thing. Like we're not, I wouldn't consider us a military family, but like we have a lot of respect for it, but there's, you know, neither of my grandparents, grandparents, ever talked about that time right nobody did you don't there's and I, I can't speak to if it's the same here in Canada because I am an American um and that's my experience but like there was no acknowledgement that you would be traumatized coming home from being deployed yeah yeah those guys had a long time to come back they did but it would make sense that like he would think you were just like, yay, coming home. I feel like even now there's more talk of PTSD and you see it depicted in the media. Like I'm thinking specifically of um, uh, the show, This Is Us, you know, but we we don't acknowledge it's like our military is strong and, and a force and ha- they're, they're fine. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's some shame like that you bring with you. And honestly, it, you just don't want to talk about it. Like you're ready to like move on with life. And you certainly don't want to talk about it with people who weren't there. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I feel personally a responsibility to talk about those things because I see other young women who are now kind of who I was back then, um, young, vibrant, you know, the whole Vanessa Guillen, um, situation and the other soldiers who have been victims, I feel a responsibility to say like this happened to me and there is a path forward for you. And, and that's kind of why, because it is very easy to just be like, let's never talk about this again. Let's just move on with our lives. Let's put that in a little box over here and we shall never open the box again. Right. And just tuck it away. Totally. But like as a leader for me, it feels important to say, like, I can still be me and and acknowledge that these things happened to me and not stand for them. And that was also a reason why I decided to come back in and continue my military path. Because as you go up in rank, you have the ability to affect more people positively. And so that was also important to me. I've also, I've always kind of felt um, this sense of duty to do my best to protect people and to, to allow them environments for them to do their mission. So it's been a long windy journey, but um, if I don't say anything, then maybe many others won't either. And, and Mm -hmm. then we don't move the needle at all. Yeah. 
I always find it so inspiring when somebody can take a trauma like that and, and see it and, and make me, we, we talk a lot about making meaning out of your experiences, but making meaning out of something in a way that can like affect change and impact the lives of others um, is I find really inspiring. Yeah. And I struggled for a long time. It, it wasn't like I was like, well, I'm just going to get divorced from this guy and like go about my business. And I struggled with relationships. I, I got married to my son's father and he too was a veteran struggling and still unfortunately in the throes of like serious drug addiction. And he had done uh, also a lot to me that made me feel kind of victimized again emptied out my bank account of like $30,000. I had just wow. had my son. He was an infant. I was picking him up. I was driving back and forth to pick him up and put my, put my debit card in to get gas. And there was nothing in there. He had like completely cleaned me out completely. Oh my gosh. And it was like really around that time where I was like, okay, like it's more than just you now you have an infant you have got to like pull it together and and so i just kind of began right there mm -hmm. it's funny how our kids can kind of like be an inspiration <laughs> for things totally. you know yeah i was gonna say the same thing like it it really is um amazing and i've heard that like from so many people that having um children kind of forces them to be like, oh, I got to deal with this stuff. And my grandmother, uh, so much, my mom's mom left her dad when the youngest was six months old. And she always says that it was him. It was that baby that, that gave her the strength to leave an unhealthy relationship, but yeah. also to keep getting up every morning and doing the things that you need to do, because it wasn't just about her anymore. It was about right. these kids. And she had a baby who's like, you know, we know they're really dependent <laughs> mm -hmm. and they don't stop. Um, <laughs> right. So, I mean, I'm just telling that story because I feel like it relates to what you're saying about just having a baby and you're at this gas station and you just need to put gas in your car yeah. and there's no gas. And now it's not, not just you that's stranded at the gas station. Yeah. It and was really, it was like, I remember looking at him in the rear view mirror and being like, this is like, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing this. Yeah. And so that's when you left your second marriage? Yeah. So I, I had, he and I had been separated for a little bit and he had managed to empty my bank accounts and, and do a lot of other really terrible things that put me in a, in a terrible financial position. And I was working, I was like the only one working, which is often mm -hmm. how it goes. And I had an infant and it was really, really hard. And then I just kind of like, I remember seeing my son in the back seat and I had enough gas to get home and I didn't want to tell my family who, um, you know, I had been living with at the time during our separation about what had happened. And I just, 
brought him inside. I remember it was winter. I brought him inside and I like just kind of like sketched out a path. And it sounds really stupid now looking back, but I literally just started putting it down on paper, all of the areas that I needed to clean up. And I just, I just began there. And that I does not sound stupid. It's like, oh, no, so that sounds stupid. like, but I feel like anytime you hear anybody who's found any, you know, level of success, that's how it starts. Yeah. I, and that's what I really try to teaching when I teach and coach other, you know, women, my soldiers, my family, my friends, whomever, I really just tell them when you're feeling overwhelmed, it just starts, it's just as helpful to sit down and just start writing things down. It doesn't even need to make sense, but you get so much clarity from that and you don't need to do a big exercise and it doesn't have to be all woo woo. It's just going to be like, what is the, you know, what that I have to write down and do. And I knew number one was like money, (laughs) which I think is often the case for a lot of people. It was like, Mm -hmm. clothes, my kid and me and, you know, F this guy. And I need to just start getting it together. And I literally started scribbling down on a notebook. Like just different, like, were you scribbling down just money or or ideas for how you were going to get the money? Like, so I knew that I was, I was working. I had a good job. I, um, I, I had written down and this is where I kind of start with, with anybody who needs help. Like I, I, it's usually money. It's, it was my health and my wellness. I was like super overweight. I was still carrying baby weight. I just felt I had a thyroid condition. I still have a thyroid condition, but it was like not controlled at all. I was plodding, you know, along one foot in front of the other, but I was like kind of gross and like just all sorts of, I just wasn't the best version of myself. And I just felt very much out of control. And so I started writing down the things that I could control. You know, I could get a new bank account. I could divert my paychecks to that. I could, you know, start getting up a half an hour earlier before my son got up. And yeah, that was four 30 in the morning. I had an hour and a half commute. And I just started with those, with those things. And then I, I really tried to envision what I wanted. I didn't love my job. It was an okay job, but I knew that it wasn't going to be enough to provide the kind of lifestyle that I wanted for, for my son and, and for myself. So I just started sketching out like, what was that? I wanted to work from home. I got into a job where I worked from home and, and in a very short amount of time. And again, I'm not a, a very big woo woo type of person. I'm very practical and military. So I <laughs> do believe in the power of manifesting the things that you want and, and picturing yourself there. And I just started having a vision of what I saw for myself and my son. and. I almost lost my home. We were just in a bad space. And so they were very practical, like move all your shit out of here, move it to your mother's house. It was really a lot of that kind of small actionable steps that I could take. And very, very soon things started to turn around for me. But one of the biggest things was clearing out the people who were not serving us well and having hard conversations and making tough decisions because 
I wanted to take care of my ex-husband. I wanted him to be well, but we can't want that for other people. They have to want it for themselves. themselves. And so I was like, no, this dude that is snorting oxys off the bathroom sink is not going to be around me and my son. Right. And, you know, I am strong and resilient. I understand for others, it took a long time for people to kind of get to that point. But I think people reach that point sooner when they literally start writing down the actions that they can do. Mm -hmm. And taking control of what you actually can control. Absolutely. And, and people say, well, you know, if you're, if you're suffering from depression or post-traumatic stress, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. (laughs) Sometimes it's just one thing that you're going to do that day. And it's, yeah, but I think, I think the act of, of, of writing it out, cause you know, I, I can't speak to PTSD, but I can speak to depression and anxiety and grief and all of that. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed. Very easy to get overwhelmed and, um, yeah, totally, you know, so, so by having that written down, you know, you at least have something, you have something to go to, to like, if it's only one thing you can do that day, you at least have that, you know, brain dump as Tisha calls them to go to, to be like, okay, I can do this. And I am, I am a person who suffers from anxiety and has some perfectionist tendencies and I can get overwhelmed with all of the things that I think I should be doing, which is like a big learning curve for me is like, what should, like, are these things I want to be doing or things that I just think I should be doing? But in any event, I find when I just dump it all out on a paper and I write down like all of the things that are overwhelming me, what are all these things that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing or I want to get done or whatever that sort of a couple of things happen. Sometimes when I write it down on the paper, I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's not as much as I had made it out in my brain. Yes. That happens to me a lot. And that's probably because I'm just anxious. And so it's easy for me to feel overwhelmed. And when I see it on paper, I'm like, oh, it's only like five things. Right. But when I'm just thinking them in my head and they're swirling around, it feels a lot more than that. Well, and it can be also hard to focus on the task at hand, whatever that is. Because I'm somebody where I always would, I would tease my late husband about this. I'd be like, he would see something shiny. He'd be like, oh, it's shiny. And like be diverted to that. And, but I'm the same way, you know, I'll be focusing on, you know, whatever it is, paying the bills. And then I'll think of something else. It's like, oh, I should go do that now. And, and that focus, I think it also helps you to focus. It not only helps you to bring down the, like a thousand percent totally because sometimes I can look at that list and sometimes it doesn't make me feel better sometimes it really is a long list that I've dumped out but sometimes I can look at it and just be like okay actually these couple little things here are only going to take me five minutes right or these couple little things here like I can do this one right now today, or I can ask someone to help me with this thing, but there is definitely something about just having it on the paper, those actionable steps that you can start planning it a bit better, if that makes sense. And I think a big thing for women is we can look at it and say, I can task X, Y, and Z out. A hundred percent. 
We don't do that. I think as women, but especially as moms. Totally. It's like, yep. we don't have to do <laughs> No one said we, we did. Yeah. And well, I was they having- kind of imply that we do. Let's be yeah, real. That's true. But, you know, there were things that I just put on the paper that did just clear and, and I was able to sleep. I felt also when I got it out on my paper, I wasn't like waking up at 3 a.m. thinking about like all these weird things. Like it was out. I knew it was there. I was going to tackle it the next day. Mm-hmm. And so that was really powerful for me. And this is, you know, another thing that I do now when I, when I do feel overwhelmed, either with post-traumatic stress or memories or triggering memories, or if I am feeling like I'm not climbing out of, you know, my hole of overwhelm, I literally take a Sunday and I like just straighten up my stuff. Like I fold my laundry, I get my desk together. I like clean my kitchen and, you know, you don't have to go on like a cleaning spree unless that's your jam, but like just knowing where all my things were and knowing where all my son's things were like, that is literally where I started. I started by folding laundry. I started by figuring out like, no, I'm not going to go to target and, you know, waste this money that I need really to feed me and my son, because he's got a million pairs of whatever. And, and it really was just a, a, a season of clarification for me. And I was able to really make some moves during that, even that first year. Mm-hmm. That set you up. It just set me up and it set me up for the next few years where I was able to be in a financial position where um, I was able to buy a business and buy real estate. And just, it was like starting a snowball effect. And th- this is coming from someone who, like had credit cards opened in her name. <laughs> like right. yeah. it was like that much. And that action that started me was like, Anna, file the fraud report, like pull your credit report. Like it was literally that stuff. And some of those things I could only do one, you know, one of those tasks a week because I was a mom, a single mom with an infant. So but it was like on my little notebook and I had it and then I was able to cross it off. And I was able to start setting myself up to be more secure and more and feel more safe, Yeah, which is mm-hmm. always a goal of mine because of the things that I've been through. That made you feel unsafe. And yeah. it's interesting to me that, you know, you were in a place where you didn't feel safe, like Iraq, <laughs> and then you come home and you're not feeling safe. And then you enter this marriage that maybe should have brought some comfort and safety and security and really wasn't. I'm trying to think of how to word it, but it almost sounds like it was like a physical representation of like what was actually going on inside of you, like that. And I can see how that kind of manifests like in the way that you interacted in relationships and can look at other people and maybe the behaviors that you might've been willing to accept 
in a relationship because of all this other stuff that you really were trying to deal with. Yeah. And I think when you can't clear your own stuff, you're just way more open to dealing with other people's BS. Yes. Yes. Like you You tolerate so much more under the guise that like they're there to support you in some way, whether it's emotional, whatever it is, they actually are or not. Yeah. And, and like, I think back and I'm like, oh, gross. Like I would never do that now. Yeah. But when you're navigating all that, that crap in your head and you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know, and that's not what you're supposed to do. You have to take care of your children and yourself. Like mm-hmm. that's how we roll. And, and since then, you know, there are still mo- moments where I might not feel as secure as I'd like to feel because that's life. But, and I'm sure some people would think like, it's because you have such a strong hold on like everything. And, you know, but it's because I never want to feel like that again. I never <laughs> want to feel out of control. I, I feeling out of control is where I'll go to the therapist and sleep for three days after. Like that's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and you've been there. You're like, I I know what that life's about. Right. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, we do, we start looking at our lives and thinking, like, what can I do to make sure that that yeah. never happens, which is probably how some of us like me develop some of those like perfectionist tendencies, right? Because I want, I want the control in some respects, right? I want to feel like I know exactly what's happening and that I am in control of how everything is going to kind of turn out because the unpredictability of life has brought a lot of trauma for me. Right. And it sounds like for you as well. Right. So. But then there's also, I feel like, cause I mean, my trauma came very suddenly and, and was, it happened in, in a place and time and everything that should have been very safe. Mm-hmm. So it leaves me feeling, my trauma leaves me feeling like, what's the point of trying to control things? Interesting. Yeah. That was under control. Isn't that interesting how it like just affects people differently? Mm-hmm. And I can't argue to my kids that argue or say, explain to my kids that like, you know, keeping your shit in order is going to mean that everything's going to be okay because that is so not their experience. Um, so yeah. it's, 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 it's just interesting the way I think it speaks to the fact that trauma is so personal and how we're all affected by things is so personal. And I think, I've said this before, societally, we're really trauma illiterate and and how personal it it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, I mean, everyone's experience is so varied and that's one of the things that we sort of are trying to get through, like with the podcast and listening to different people's stories and the different ways that they have found to, to heal and the different ways that things have impacted them. Sometimes it is very personal, but there's often a lot of kind of common threads that are there as well. Yeah. Um, so just like Jen was saying, like, I had a lot of childhood trauma, like sort of like I was in survival mode for most of my teens, twenties, like just in survival mode, trying to like get myself to a place that was safe and stable and like 
being high achieving, developing some of those like perfectionist tendencies and wanting to be in control of things because I had a vision for my life that was not the life that I was brought up in. And then I achieved that and was like living in the house and I had a, a healthy relationship and I had a good job and I had my kids and then I was diagnosed with cancer and it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was, or I felt like I was in a place of being safe and stable, like Jen was talking about in her case as well. But for me, when that happened, there was part of me that was like, how could you be so stupid to think that you were safe? Oh, really? And you should have known something bad was about to happen because something bad always happens because so many bad things have actually happened in my life. And, um, and that is, I think also part of the PTSD for me too, is like, well, yeah, because danger's everywhere and you should have known that danger was there. And so I'm going to protect you. You know, there's like that little voice inside that's like, I'm going to protect you from all the possible dangers that are out there and everywhere is dangerous. Um, so it's, it's just interesting that, um, kind of Jen and I had diff- had trauma during like a safe and stable period of our lives mm-hmm. and have had different reactions to that. But I think I'm really learning to let go of some of that a little bit, <laughs> right? Because you can't control everything. But sometimes yeah. I think it would be really nice if I could. <laughs> so now kind of where are you and what are you doing now? Like, can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and um, okay. So I'm, I'm currently still serving in the reserves. I, um, uh, I just got promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. I'm I'm thrilled about that. It was a long um, journey. I was planning on retiring and I got a postcard in the mail in true army fashion talking about, you know, talk about, throwing a curveball at you like the military does. They said you had to stay until 2023 if you, if I wanted my son to have all of his college benefits. So I'm like, cool. So I'll go for a couple more years. Um, I own for 15 years now. In fact, uh, shortly after I returned from Iraq, I opened a dance studio. Mm. And that's what I did before. I, I was a dancer and a cheerleader. And um, I was teaching in Boston before I deployed um, after I'd gotten out of active duty. And um, so I own a dance studio, it's our 15th year. And recently I just purchased uh, an Ace Hardware, long story, but I purchased some real estate. And as part of that real estate, there was a hardware store in it. So in our little village, there's been a hardware store that that has been here for about a hundred years and I'm just the newest owner of it. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it it is cool. It's got its ups and downs. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like a hardware expert by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we're getting there. Um, And recently I developed uh, um, the podcast because I wanted to put some content out there that would help other military women and veterans and families, really. It's really for anyone. I talk a lot about the military in it, but the skills, um, I always say they are what they are. Like, they're for anybody. You don't have to be a veteran or a first responder there or, you know, 
man or woman. It's just, that's kind of my audience because that's who I am. And um, I've always just wanted to help other military women like myself kind of get, uh, like I say on my, on my website, like get their shit together. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, helping others kind of navigate out of, I think my story is a common story with probably different little flares to it for a lot of women. And we care so much for others that we never really get the ball rolling on the things that we want. Um, and so my goal has been to help other female veterans who may be tra- uh, transitioning out of the service to start their own business or even figure out what it is that they want to do. Um, so many people get out and then they go work, you know, at a job that doesn't bring them any sort of like passion or, you know, they worked in a motor pool. So they think they need to go work in another mode. And it's like, you can do whatever you want. You just need some, some help to figure out what it is that you want. And then, a, you know, a point in the right direction on how to get there. So I created my website um, and I'm developing a course that will go through some of the same exercises that I did when I was kind of sitting at that gas station that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of my, my latest thing that I've been doing, but most importantly, I've been wanting to put out just content that helps other women like me. So, um, yeah. I have a very happy household. I have a very happy life. I'm very blessed and I feel very grateful and lucky that, you know, I have a good family who really did help me through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have a wonderful relationship that wasn't exactly what I was expecting, but um, life gives you what you need when you need it. And so um, the journey has, like I said, has been long and windy, but, you know, I do feel like I'm here to help others and, and a life of service is what like I, I chose. And I think that I'll probably try to continue that even after I retire, which hopefully will be soon. <laughs> In 2023. In 2023. <laughs> Roughly November of 2023, but who's counting? <laughs> so. What now, just, just to clarify for anybody who's listening, like, what, so what does it mean to be in the reserves? Because you have all of these things, but you're still active. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? So I do my one week in the month and I do um, supposedly two weeks a year, but it's not really one weekend a month and two weeks a year, particularly if you're in leadership positions. So I do a lot. It's like having another part-time job. I do a lot of phone calls. I, I travel quite a bit. I do training. I go to the field. I help others. And so it's kind of like having another full-time gig. And I'm also a contractor for the New Hampshire National Guard. That's like my full-time, full-time job. And I work with military families on everything from Um, finances to homelessness to education and getting jobs and so um, I've been doing this kind of work for a long time and um, it's just a passion of mine and it's always been a passion of mine and I just feel like um, a lot of people need it a lot of people need a a boost up and especially now like the state try not to become too dejected at the state of the world sometimes but women are here to save the world you know, yeah. like the more power them, you know, the more women who have money, you know, and who have good careers and solid households and good families, like the, the reverberating effects of that are just like 
so impactful. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of what I do. That and is... the more boys we raise that support that in women. I always mm -hmm. go back to the time that one of our neighbors said to my eldest, um, I was like using a wrench trying to like lower the basketball hoop or whatever. And he's like, does your mom even know what she's doing? And he goes, my mommy can do anything. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah. there's, I mean, my son has, my son, he's biracial. He's got two moms raising him. You know, it's, it's really creating um, a home and a, and a planet, right. That is accepting and um, you know, we can, we can do a lot. We just need to kind of give people the right tools to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're doing is really virtuous, like the work yes. that you're doing and the ways in which you're trying to help people. And, you know, I'm sure you're making a difference. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I'm just very grateful that there are people who are like you, who are out there, who are trying to, to help people and help families kind of get themselves to, you know, a good place and finding whatever success means for them. Um, it is, it's really, and especially helping, I think, and I think especially that, that your focus is helping the people that help other people feel safe. Right. Yeah. Like those are not, nobody should be left behind, but in my opinion, those are not the people that, that afford us, the liberties that we are able to have living in a democracy, those are not the people that should be left behind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do think about it because for a couple things, one is a lot of military women that serve come from demographics that are tough, tough places yeah. to grow up. And so it's almost like they join the military and I'm not, I'm just kind of generalizing here, not everybody, but you know, a lot of military women join because that's, that's about their only option. Yeah. And they just, that's their ticket out. That's their ticket. And they either write it out or for whatever reason, medical reasons. I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why they get out suddenly sometimes, and they don't even want to, and then they are stuck. And then they feel like they have to do things that they don't want to do. And that is really sad to me. And also I want to help create a world where my boy can grow up and like, you know, have a, a world where, you know, a world better than what it is right now, I guess. Mm -hmm. is the short way to say it. Yeah. Yes. Can I give you a round of applause? <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes. so much. Thanks. You guys are great. Yeah. Um, thank, you. thank you so much for um, sharing with us your story. I, I echo Tisha is, is really inspiring and you've turned some like serious adversity into something that's so inspiring. Thank you um, so much. I appreciate yeah. you guys having me and I hope, you know, I hope it helps. And I think the work that you guys are doing is incredible as well. And I Thank love you. it. And I just, you. you know, we're all working together to make things better for a lot of people. Exactly. exactly. That's it. Right. Yeah. We're all working towards making the world a better place for future generations, right? Does that sound really cliche? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you yeah. guys so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.